Hey everyone, how's it going? You are listening to the Boise Coffee Podcast Season 2. Actually, we've got a lot of twos going on here. It is Season 2, Episode 2, and the title is The History of Coffee Part 2, The Favorite Drink of the Civilized World. I am your host, Colin Mansfield. I've been writing and reviewing coffee for the better part of the last six years on my website and blog, boisecoffee.org. You can go and read my brew methods, reviews, and the other, listen to the other episodes of the podcast there. In the last episode of the podcast, we talked about the history of coffee starting in the 9th century, the discovery by the goat herder Caldi, if you'll remember, and leaving off in the 17th century with the arrival of the Dutch colonists in what they called New Amsterdam, which got a name change to New York by the British. We covered a lot of ground on the last episode of the podcast. So if this is the first time you're listening to the Boise Coffee Podcast, go ahead and listen to part one first because this is going to make a lot more sense. And there's some really cool pieces of history uh, that I went over in the last podcast. Everything from a Pope blessing coffee to a coffee heist by a Dutch guy by the name of Peter Vanderbroek. So go ahead and listen to that first part before moving on to this next part of the history of coffee. Like I said, I'm calling this episode the favorite drink of the civilized world. You will know why by the end. But in this episode, we're going to cover, we're going to start in the 17th century and we're going to go all up until the 19th century. Last episode, we covered a lot of ground. This episode, I'd like to kind of slow down a little bit, take things a little bit slower and look at how coffee was able to go from Europe to the Americas. As you know, today, some of the most famous places you can buy coffee are in South and Central America. But that's not where the plant originated. As we talked about in the last episode, it came from the Ethiopian plateau. That's where the grandfather of all coffee plants started and was first grown and then cultivated in Yemen. And then it spread. And so we're going to look at how it spread, why it spread. Spoiler alert, it's not just because it was traded. That, of course, was a big part and a big reason why it grew as fast as it did uh, within the Western world. But that's not why coffee was brought to South Central America and to North America. So we're going to talk about it. But I'm going to start by going back to London. So by the mid-1700s, which is about where we left off in the last episode, there were over 300 coffee shops in London alone. These attracted artists, business people, merchants, and other like-minded people, various intellects and backgrounds. So as we discussed at the end of the last episode, Dutch colonists were the first to transport coffee to their villages in the New World, America, but it was by far not the most popular caffeine-laced beverage. Now apparently the British quite liked coffee, but nothing, nothing beat their love of tea. And prior to 1773, their American counterparts loved it just as much. That'll change because of a little incident that we call the Boston Tea Party here in the States. So choosing to drink tea in colonial America following the Boston Tea Party was as much a political statement about your association with Great Britain as waving a British flag outside your window. Some historians actually see the Tea Act and similar taxation without representation acts and the events that followed as a straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, leading to the Revolutionary War. Tea was out and coffee was patriotic.
back to the Dutch. In 1714, King Louis XIV of France was presented a gift by the mayor of Amsterdam. It was a young coffee plant. The king ordered that it be planted in the France Botanical Gardens in Paris, and in 1723, a young French naval officer by the name of Gabriel de Clue arranged to transport a seedling from this plant. So through rugged storms, tumultuous winds, and a would-be saboteur who intended to destroy the seedling, Gabriel carried this seedling to the Caribbean island of Martinique, where he planted it. And according to the National Coffee Association, the seedling not only thrived, but it's credited with the spread of over 18 million coffee trees on the island over the next 50 years. And not only that, but this one seedling receives credit for being the parent of all coffee trees throughout the Caribbean, South, and Central Americas. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about Brazil. So in Brazil, the history of coffee is no less interesting. In 1727, a man named Francisco de Melo Palheta was sent by the Emperor of Brazil to French Guiana in hopes of obtaining coffee seeds or plants. The Portuguese were looking for a way to undercut the coffee market, but had been unsuccessful with obtaining any viable plants or seeds due to the governor of French Guiana being unwilling to export seeds. Francisco made his way across the border with hopes of diplomatically solving the problem, but he was unsuccessful in convincing the governor. But while there, Francisco did befriend the governor's wife. Depending on the story, he either seduced her or she was taken by his good looks, but either way, the result was the same. While diplomacy didn't rule the day, Francisco nonetheless returned home with enough coffee seeds to successfully start the Brazilian coffee business. And today, Brazil is home to a billion-dollar industry around coffee. No tea, uh-uh, or tomato juice. We'll see, no potato juice. Cause the planters down in Santa's all say no, no, no. So you'll add to the local color, serving coffee with a cruller. Dunking doesn't take a lot of skill. They got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Well, let's get back to the U.S. In 1824, founding father and the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, deemed coffee, quote, the favorite drink of the civilized world. I told you that you'd understand the name later. So according to the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, he enjoyed the coffee houses of Williamsburg and Paris, and he actually served coffee at the President's House, Poplar Forest, and Monticello. Jefferson preferred beans imported from the East and West Indies, and he absolutely abhorred the green or unripe beans that were popular in America at the time. So it's estimated that a pound of coffee a day was consumed at Monticello during Jefferson's retirement. To store his coffee, Jefferson kept unroasted beans in barrels in his cellar, and these barrels weighed as much as 60 pounds, and small portions of coffee were roasted and ground in Jefferson's kitchen, and then they were served at breakfast and sometimes after dinner. Jefferson actually designed and commissioned the smithing of a silver coffee urn, which he used to share the beverage with visitors to Monticello. Now, as you've heard over the last two episodes, the history of coffee is far from boring. Monopolies have been built on coffee and smugglers have brought them down. Entire modern industries are based on coffee because one person did their job and brought home viable seeds to plant. 
And while some might argue that the spread of coffee was inevitable due to its characteristic caffeine buzz and the fact that its popularity always preceded its availability, I argue instead that it succeeded only because specific individuals pushed it forward. Coffee didn't succeed merely because of traders or kings, emperors or political agendas. It, it succeeded because of specific individuals, people. People who believe that coffee could make them and their country better. People who believe that coffee was worth the time and effort it took to grow, process, grind, make, and brew. And in first world countries today, coffee is treated equally as a commodity and as a specialty beverage. Places like Los Angeles, you can find a brewed cup of coffee for a buck at a diner, or you can travel to the nearest third wave shop and drink a brew crafted to perfection for closer to four or five bucks. Now, this wide availability in craftsmanship did not come all at once, or because of one group of people. The reality is that the history of coffee spans centuries, spans nations, and the lives of specific people who thought coffee was worth it. Thanks so much for listening to episode two, The History of Coffee, part two. I really appreciate it. If you want to move more into the 20th century of coffee and more modern day coffee, you can check out episode two of season one, which is called Coffee Waves, where I talk about the three waves of specialty coffee. Until next time, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Boise Coffee. Listen to the rest of the episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or my blog, boisecoffee.org. And please have an excellent rest of your week.